Welcome, everybody, to Panfish Weekly number three. Along with Mark, I'm Lyle. And, Mark, we got a great guest tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun. You guys will probably have a little more fun than me simply because I know zero about ice fishing, and that's what you guys have been talking about. Well, I think uh, we're going to talk a little bit more than ice fishing because Mr. Brian Brosdale, everybody calls you bro, right? Yeah, that's why they call me Brosdahl. Brosdahl. Brosdahl, yeah. I'm sorry. Is it okay if we call you bro then during the interview? You can call me anything you want, but I always say that bro is what, it, what my buddies call me, and Brian is the tax collector. Right. Well, I don't collect no taxes. I'm not that lucky. I, I, I think I think everybody here chats in for a treat. Uh, uh, Bros does a lot more than just ice fishing. He's a, a panfish slayer. I think we got a lot to learn from him, don't you think, Lyle? I think so. And I, if, if you haven't seen the picture that we put up of him um, with that big old bluegill, a uh, man after my heart to catch us in that size because I don't get the opportunity very often to catch bluegill that size that would that's just massive but come on up i need to sounds like you know i got a couple i got a couple people here in chat that's that's actually here tonight that are really interested in going ice fishing uh uh next year maybe we'll have an outing and maybe we'll pay you a visit what do you say bro yeah or even you know come up in uh open water time just let me know ahead of time so you know i can you know make sure it works out we can schedule a trip. We got a uh, got a bunch of people in chat here today. Actually, I saw Mr. Eric Massey in there. Eric Massey's a a jig maker out here. Uh, he makes some pretty nice stuff. We can probably put his stuff to use with panfish, don't you think, Absolutely. Lyle? Absolutely. Yep. He lives about thirty miles from me. Thereabouts. We have quite conversations every once in a while online. Eric makes some wonderful jigs, and he's a super nice guy. So be sure to check him out on Facebook. <clears throat> So, how'd you get your start uh, pan fishing? Let's let's go back to the very beginning, bro. Well, geez, it, first there was a fishing pole, and then I grabbed it, and then I started catching fish. I'm telling you right now, uh, my first fish was a walleye when I was a, a little kid. Really, I, I caught some big walleyes on a on a big body water lake of the woods. Uh, it's a half a million acre body water on the border of Canada, north of us, and but that same winter, I caught some big slab crappies and big bluegills through the ice. And I'm telling you, at five years old, I just enjoyed catching those fish because there wasn't this long wait. It was it was faster. And there's something about panfish that are just absolutely, uh, you know, striking and fun to catch. Just how they, they have heart, how they fight, and using light line to catch them. So I would say at five years old... Um, Catching catching panfish on the ice was a blast. They are the panfish are, are the, in my opinion, it's it's where everybody nearly starts, and um, they just they just go from there. Some of us never leave, uh, and some of us leave and come back to the panfish area. But you've had great success with panfish. Oh, absolutely! I I, I love I love panfish. Uh, you know, I, I like chasing crappies year round. Uh, bluegill. I, I mentioned bluegills and crappies. Perch can be put in there also. Big jumbo Absolutely. perch. Uh, and we call them jumbo perch because this is a bait fish that in the right lake grows big. They get exorbitant and they're probably one of the best eaten fish on the planet, you know, and they're super expensive to buy in the store. So they're, they're highly prized and sought after, but there's, there's uh, a lot of family history 
uh, people chase perch because their dad did, their grandfather did, their great-great-grandfather did. In Minnesota, perch were considered trash fish, but we had a phenomenal perch fishery, so people were visiting from other states and were like, what are you doing with all those? You know, laughing, and now they're like, hey, where'd you catch those? I want to mm -hmm. go catch them. You know, so outside, people in uh, Wisconsin and Illinois knew about the perch way before most of the Minnesotans did, and then the worst thing they did, though, is to tell us how good they were, you know, because now we're chasing them and putting <laughs> pressure on them. But uh, but crappies are fun. The old paper mouth. Yep. They fight. They splash. Sometimes they think they're a bass. And they jump completely out of the water. Um, they can't do that in the ice because they'd hit their head. Uh, <laughs> we do have bass. Once in a while, we'll hook a large mouth or a big smallie. Uh, and in clear ice, you're watching them fight below your feet, swimming around like a like a picture window. And they'll hit their head on the ice once in a while. Oh, that's got to hurt. And then they hit their head again. They're trying to jump, but they can't. And it, it, it's just hilarious. And they don't really get hurt, but it's, it's, it's really neat, the fish you catch while you're chasing pans. And, and, and when you're fishing, um, you had mentioned perch. Those are all inland perch, right? And you're, you, when you're talking jumbo perch, what kind of sizes are you typically talking about? Well, you know, perch, jumbo perch is different from place to place. And, uh, you know, some, some areas, you know, a nine inch perch is big mm -hmm. or even there's areas they don't get much bigger than, than like an eight would be a keeper. I consider jumbo perch when they're 11 on up, up is the, the, the ceiling is dependent on how, how big they get in the area. A lot of the biggest perch I've seen in our area were 13, 13 and a half inches. And you hear about these 14, 15s. But I'm a guy that says mouth closed, tail pinch. I want to see it on a tape. And mm -hmm. and now we're starting to see 14, 14 and a halfs uh, up here because we got rusty crayfish. They've been around for a long time, but it just gives them that much more growth. So a lot of our perch lakes that do have rusties in them, they're growing super fast and they're getting really big. There's a lot of protein in those, those little critters. And uh, so a, a big perch, you know, I, I just tell people if, if it's nine and up, you know, you don't have to keep them all the same size because uh, a true jumbo perch, like a 12-inch, a foot-long perch, is less than 3% of the entire population. I don't want to sit there all day because mm. the small ones fry up nice, too. They do. Now, are you throwing those real big monsters back for breeding purposes, or oh, is yeah. it not? You definitely. That, one thing I got to tell people when you, when you open up a, a big perch, and I've seen it for, for many years, they're the ones that have gotten into trouble. They've been bit by a pike or some, some predator mm -hmm. and escaped, or they might have uh, more chance of parasites because they're bigger. They've lived in like bad lake neighborhoods, you know, like where yeah. there's <laughs> wrong kind of like snails on the bottom or whatever. And the, the, the cleanest perch are always the smallest uh, from, you know, that, that uh, I like to try to get 10, 10 to about 11 and a half and anything more than that goes back because those really big perch are full of eggs. Mm -hmm. They have no belly meat at all. If, if you just, if you turn that knife and you scrape the, the skin, you're just going to get little strands. There's no belly meat because they're just full of eggs. The best perch, especially as we get later in the season are the males. They have more meat and you don't need to get as big of a fish, you know, to, uh, to, to eat you nine, nine to 10 inch male perch are great and after the female spawn as the ice leaves 
they'll and they lend fat, they'll fatten back up then, right? After they spawn. Yes. That makes sense. They're using their body's resources to produce eggs and reproduce and, and, and so on. So let me ask you this. Do those perch, those really big perch, uh, translate into bigger walleye and bigger pike and muskie? Yeah, you know, that's that's one thing we're finding out as we're trying to figure out the, the DNR is managing our resource here in the Minnesota DNR, and they're doing a great job. But we're starting to see that uh, strange things happen, like not from angling pressure, but some lakes lose all their jumbo perch. And mostly it's from pressure, from from angling. But a uh, big walleye, a big pike um, is going to take down a bigger perch. When they're going to eat, they're going to go for a big one. So th those bigger schools are little pods of perch. They're getting chased all the time by pike and, and walleyes. And so a lake that has a lot of slot walleyes that are protected of big walleyes, there'll be less big perch. That, that's just how it goes. You can't have, there's only so much biomass. Right. So um, we're seeing lakes that used to be, like, we'll just talk about Lake Winnebagash, for instance, used to be the I've Mecca. I've been there, love perch. that place. <laughs> it was the Mecca. And, uh -huh. you know, there hasn't really been good jumbo perch fishing there for 16, 17 years. Yeah, oh. people get them in the spring. When they're coming in to spawn, there'll be some school. This is a giant lake, 65,000-acre lake. huge. So somebody's going to be on them and catch a school of nice ones. But it used to be unilaterally all nice ones 16, 17 years ago. And then the slot made a whole bunch of big walleyes. It took a long time. It took like a decade to have all these walleyes from 23 to 26. And our big perch crashed. But now they're creeping back. And uh, it, it just took a long time. And what they're finding out if, from predation and angling pressure both. And there wasn't much, there wasn't hardly anybody angling on Winnie here the last 10 years in the wintertime. It, it was a, a shell of what it used to be. It used to be a big, great big party with thousands of people. Right. Um, what what happened is uh, now uh, the perch were spawning at a much younger mm -hmm. age. So small perch were spawning to kind of keep the lake going. So nature knows what to do. And when that happens, you get, fish that grow slower because they're they're concentrating on spawning is and that's why big bluegills are disappearing all over the place because we're taking the big ones and what we need to take are the mediums the mediums not the small ones not the giants the mediums and uh you know that's um but in in perch you know the lake figures out what to do i mean it's it, it's crazy they just know to spawn earlier and if there's bigger fish in the lake they will grow to that size to spawn and it's it's a it's a natural it's in their instinct and you had mentioned like a uh, uh, bluegill populations going down and I've, I've heard a little bit about um bluegill limits in minnesota in certain lakes there's a program out there where they're limiting like to five bluegills am i mistaken yeah no that's that's right and uh there's five some have 10 okay and normally the statewide limit's 20 it is okay. uh, now here's there's a, a thing starting up called Quality Bluegill Initiative. That's the one mean, I was reading about. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're gonna they're gonna say, "Oh, this is on every lake," but you they ask people what they want. They want bigger bluegills, and they go, "Would you be willing to throw some of them back?" Oh yeah, yeah. I just want to catch them. I don't even see them anymore. They don't exist, and uh, so they're not gonna do it. But they're gonna do select lakes and see how it goes. But at a five limit. It helps. Ten doesn't for some reason. Even though you cut it in half, it doesn't help because people will sort through to get the biggest ten. Yeah. And what 
and bluegills aren't in giant schools. They're little colonies. Like this weed bed is a colony. That weed bed is a colony. Uh, and when they dump into the basin and then boom, 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 we're just hammering on them. Well, mm -hmm. that colony just went down the highway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, selective harvest, is it, it's in everything. It's in walleye, bass, musky, but uh, not saying keep tiny ones. I would say keep nice mediums, but don't keep the tankers. Uh, like I, the only one I got is this one that died, uh, it, and that's for the sake of uh, helping me in a shoot. And rarely do the big ones. I take really good care of them, uh -huh. but you're out in cold temperatures, and some of them kick. And I wasn't going to eat them. I just won't do that. Gotcha. That's a giant. Yeah, and uh, and then these because uh, people ask the the perch in the wall. They look smaller, but watch when I go back here. Yeah, those are big. <laughs> <laughs> those are uh, those are 16, 16 and a half inch perch. And I took Heather uh, to Cascade Lake in Utah. I mean, Idaho, I'm sorry. Idaho, that's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, Next. and uh, we want to go check it out because we're kind of limited to the, the 14 inch ceiling here. Mm. And I have caught one 15 and a half on Leech Lake through the ice a long time ago but we heard about it let's go do it because i'm hearing it's get tremendous pressure and it can't last it's only nine thousand acres and we went there you don't catch a lot i mean they're averaging eight fish a day per group and they're all pound a pound and a half but we went away from everybody and we started fishing on our own and i kind of left her and i started drilling and she texted me a photo she goes is this a walleye in, in the bucket of water and i'm like no, you know what that is. And, she, <laughs> and, then, and then she didn't catch nothing. Then the next day I said, I'm staying there because it took her two hours and it finally came through. But she didn't catch anything else. Next day I said, I'm sitting here and I'm fishing, jigging, jigging. Oh, I can't take it. And I start drilling about a mile of holes. Uh -huh. and I, I just set the auger down to go fish. She goes, uh, what is this fish? And, and she goes, he, he, laughing. And it's a 2-4 perch. It's 16 and a half inches. Wow. So I mounted him for her. And I caught more, but I didn't catch those. They're, they're, they're on their own, and I think these fish are eating kokanee, the little kokanee uh, salmon they're swimming, and uh -huh. they're suspended. So if anybody's going there, I just threw you a major clue. Are those are those, <laughs> are those kokanees? Are those natural or are those stalkers? Those are stalkers. Okay. Um, we didn't get any big ones, but we caught some big uh, rainbow trout fishing for perch. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's fun. I mean, the town was really neat. We had to stop for mule deer, and they, they, they don't care about the car. They just look at you and stand in front of you, and you're, you don't honk at them. You just wait, and they just slowly walk away. And you got 100 mule deer in front of you in town, and there's elk up there. It's a, it's a ski community, and um, it's 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 kind of a neat thing, and I'm glad we did it. But you can't – I mean, that's a long drive for me. Uh, I, like, I like fishing anywhere I can, and I'm not rich. I'm working. I'm a working man, and uh, it's one of those things. We did it, you know. Excellent. Yeah, awesome. do you, you got Lyle's attention when you mentioned elk and mule deer. That's for yes, sure. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you love it, Lyle, because it's uh, it's one of those places. There's moose up in that area. There's there's elk, and there's me, a flatlander, because it's pretty flat in Minnesota. We have a mountain, and it, it's a hill anywhere else, and so I'm I'm driving through there, and I'm like. Whoa, and I, I think I'm going too fast. I'm going speed limits like 55, and I'm going 56, and I'm like, 
there's like no guardrail at this spot. And, and the road kind of slants towards the ravine. And I'm like, looking there, I'm like, that's a long fall. And then everybody's passing me, just whipping yeah. by me. They got the road memorized. They're like, Flatlander. Yeah. You know, uh, but when you, if you, if you're not used to mountains, be careful when you go there because if it's wet and snowy, it's, it's, uh, it, it's beautiful. Oh, it's really fun to go to. I, I asked an EMT driver I seen at a subway. I said, I seen a lot of broken uh, guardrails. Does anybody ever make it? She goes, Nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, 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 when the people in chat, including myself, when we're when we're looking for for panfish in general, whether it's you know bluegill, crappie, even you know uh, the the. The, the elusive war mouth that everybody talks yeah, about yeah perch all that good stuff uh what are some recommendations i know a lot of people well besides the the bobber and worm what are some other ways to go about it maybe not to make it more sporting but to make it more interesting maybe to pick out some of the bit larger panfish that are out there what what, what are some of your recommendations for that well in 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 open water uh one thing i, I like to do and this is a simple thing it, no matter what, if you use a feather jig or a chicken feather, you know, like uh, a firefly jig or a, a flashaboo uh, tie jig, which is like a gypsy jig, or just a, a, a hook, a gamakatsu hook. Sometimes I like to use a circle hook, so I can, I'm hooking them in the corner every time. But I'll put a little, little tiny double-aught spinner blade, like a, a silver or gold blade, in one or two beads above the hook. And so... When your when your uh, line drops in, you're talking in line, right? On your actual line, okay? Yes, below your sinker. So you you pitch out there, and your your chunk of crawler falls in there, and that spinner doesn't really spin. It just kind of seesaws down there, okay? And, the beat, and it's it makes noise, and it's 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 a little bit of a flash, and you got weeds, you got murky water, and it the fish have a, a way to go spot it and find it with their they feel with their lateral line. They they can see the flash, and I, I call it a, a flicker rig because it, it's a flicker. It, it, it's not a, a spinner, you know. So you're flashing them in, and it's just a simple thing. Just pick up a little spinner blade and uh, a couple beads and put them on there. Something bright like chartreuse or bright pink or orange bead, or mix them up and simple. Uh, and then and through the ice, you know, small defined lures. Um, I'm using. Uh, some of these little tungsten flies, which work great in open water. I'll bring it up there. This is the punch fly. Punch fly, okay. Yep. And that's got, you know, that gold. Gold is a remarkably good bait for, for big bluegills. Mm -hmm. and you'll see that it's got that curved hook. Uh, you just add a couple of spikes, maggots, or ural larva, whatever you want to call them. I just call them maggots, but, uh, or uh, a little uh, waxworm. Waxies work great in open water also. They do? They're smelly, and fish love them. Um, but a little bait like that works great, and it's, it's, it gets right down there to it. Um, I'm just going to grab another one here. Uh, there's a little tungsten baits. Like, this is the Mighty Mouse, and that's that's tungsten, but you can see the big eyes. Yep, got a few, yeah, I use a few of those. Those work well. Yeah, and it gets you right down there, but that's something you don't have to put away in open water. And that's what I'm finding, that some of the ice tackle is not getting put away in in uh, in the open water time. They're keeping it out, and people are asking for it. 
and I actually have maggots here. I want to show you. Are uh, those maggots or spikes? Uh, the spikes and maggots are the same thing. This one's colored? Is, yeah, it's mousy. Okay. So now you see that little point there? Uh-huh. I'll put that right there. You, want, you hook them in the, the dull end. And what I'm doing is is taking that hook and just carefully just kind of grazing it and going through. And then that thing's wiggling on the hook. Now, you want, you want to put on a few different ones. You know, I always like to say, if I was a bluegill, I'd want the biggest maggot sandwich I could ever have. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like when I, if I got to walk all the way to the fridge, I'm not going to come back with one strip of lunch meat on my toast. This yeah. is true. You know, so I'll just put it on here where I can see it, and then I'm going to show you. And uh, when you get a big pile, I call that the Medusa head. Looks like a head full of snakes. Yes, sir. Yeah. That is bluegill candy. I mean, their they're, they're mouths water when they see that. Eric Massey, if you're still in chat, is there a place anywhere in our area you know of you can pick them baits up like that, them little maggots? Because I have never seen them at any bait store in uh, southwest Missouri. And if they're not here, we got to find a place to get some of them. You, well, you, can, you can order them, I believe. You can get them mail order, Lyle, I believe. Well, that's what yeah. I'll probably have to do. Yeah, you can because they'll, they'll send them right to the bait shop or you. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's uh, one of the largest uh, wholesalers is Vado's Express out of Spring Lake, Minnesota. But what I was just going to say about this, even in open water, Sometimes you don't want giant baits. You want small baits. And a chunk of crawler sometimes makes your bait too big. Too big. And you can get it done with something like that. It's got a lot of lot of, lot of of stuff going on. But when that's sitting in the water, I'm telling you, get ready. You know water. you know what that kind of looks like, too, being red now, is, is those blood worms we were talking about. Maybe yeah. you want to you talk a little bit about those, let everybody know how important they are to the ecosystem and us as anglers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, bloodworms in the summertime are the midge flies. They, they look like little mosquitoes, and they kind of, they're buzzing in little, little smoky clouds around the shoreline. And when they're, when they're in the lake, they look like this. And that's not a live bloodworm. That's actually, that's a bloodworm that I designed for Northland Fishing Tackle. That's a That's one of those skeleton minnows that I'm searching for desperately. It's a skeleton minnow, and they're, yeah, and they're, they're pretty much sold out. Um, but they're going to come with pre-rigs. And what you do is you could, I made a little easy spot, a ringworm head that you could hook it. Because mm -hmm. it's too hard to hook that little chain. That's like, you'd need a Hubble telescope just to look at that and hook it. <laughs> So you take it and you break it right about here if you want to. And then I got that that broken piece right there that I could put on, on a bait. And it's so much easier to hook on on a bait that you're using. You can even use it on the on the hex or the uh, punch fly. But you're talking about something that really has a lot of action. But bloodworms are natural. And very important to the ecosystem. Everything recognizes them. I've used, I've used these plastics in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Happened to be on a uh, fishing in a boat with some outdoor riders for trout, and you could see the rainbows. And they're throwing crawlers, they're throwing spinners, they're fly fishing, and they're not getting nothing. 
I, I, pit, I hurried up and I tied on one of these on a little mini fireball head, pitched it out there. It's sinking, and it's only going down, like, it's down to about three feet. The whole school turned and came at it, one ate it right away. Every cast, and it just sank in it. If it was slow, twitch, twitch, here they come. And they'd eat it because they recognize it instinctually. And I've used it everywhere from here to Connecticut on the East Coast, down to Florida. And there's the original bloodworm, which I designed a long time ago. It's a flat version of this. So we couldn't call this a bloodworm. We had to call it the skeleton minnow because we already used bloodworm. And we don't want to say bloodworm too. Uh -huh. I, I was thinking I had skeleton minnow written down for stuff something. And it just worked out good. So this is not an emo, uh, minnow imitation. It's actually a bloodworm imitation. And we talked about these diseases that kill fish or crayfish or something that could get into your waterways. Correct. All these uh, invasives around. If anything ever killed bloodworms, our freshwater fishing would cease. They're, they're vitally important to all freshwater fishing in North America. And so why not imitate what everything out there eats? If you use one of these, you can catch a, a walleye. Uh, you, you're going to catch your bluegills and crappies, but little bluegills will rip that tail off. But if you're in big water where there's big bluegills or crappies, you cannot get to bite. I've used these on Lake Ouachita in uh, Arkansas on, br on brush piles. And they got mm -hmm. them. It's kind of cool. We're, we can't have brush piles in Minnesota. And so I'm not saying there's any, but there is there is and, <laughs> and we're not supposed to I, mean, I i don't put any in but i find them out there yeah and we don't tell anybody where we find them but down there there's like a sign and it has fishies on it and there's an arrow right here uh-huh brush piles are like i love this this is great and you just go to the next site and you're fishing and everybody's using spoons down there well and it doesn't work for them where they drop a minnow you, you go over that same brush pile and you drop that right in the brush and lift it up slow, and book, and you get these big slabs. It's it's amazing. So you might not be able to get this right now because it's sold out. But the original Bros Bloodworm or Skeleton Minnow work great on little tiny uh, tungsten heads. Um, so you could check them out. Uh, and I I forgot to mention one thing: they live in mud in the bottom of the lake. Mm -hmm. When they're midge flies, they go up in these little smoke column shape things and they have no mouth they're not going to bite you they hit your boat they splat on your face they're just kind of a messy thing in the summertime but when, when they're up there doing their courting rituals they drop their eggs and their eggs actually physically sink so wherever there's lots of these bugs in the air in the summer there's going to be bloodworms and mark that spot and check it out i'm serious yeah. it, it's it's one of those little secrets that and everything will be there because immature walleyes Everything eats bloodworms. Okay, enough on bloodworms. That, that's, yeah. you know, I, one more thing to add to that. I've had fish that have been really pinnicky to bite. I'm marking them on the bottom, marking them on the bottom, whether it's perch, bluegill, crappie, or bass. I'll put something on that resembles a bloodworm, and they'll come charging up like it's like like they're coming to collect their lottery winnings or something. It's insane <laughs> how, how they turn them on. It's ridiculous. So I just want to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely, and they chase up uh, uh, to get it because they recognize it. it's instinct. And I've mm -hmm. had situations where I was, I I was sweating bullets. You know, I have, I have a camera crew there, and I have a writer there, and I know there's giant bluegills down there, and they won't bite a waxy, they won't bite red wigglers, they won't bite anything. 
and I drop that down and I just hold it still up high in this murky water and they just come up and and it's not nibble. They don't rip the tail off. Pumpkin mm -mm. seeds will do that once in a while, but if it's a little one, they'll rip the tail off. The big ones just they and they got it, you know, really good. You was talking about uh, real tiny jigs. How or are you talking like one eightieth? One eighty fourth. I have some of those. Uh, I don't really go that light. Okay. I haven't had to. Um, I'm thinking more uh, along the lines of uh, a thirty second ounce is is about as small as you need to go for really big bluegill, unless you're in ultra clear waters chasing red ears, because they're about the toughest thing on the planet. But a big bluegill, uh, you could trick them into into it on that size, and mo you don't even have to go super micro. But there are times I've had to use. Um, during cold fronts, like you get this nasty 20 below zero and wind. If it's 20 below zero and calm, they're not, it's really tough to get. So what I'll do is I'll go real tiny, but sometimes I just use a little micro fly hook. And you get these Gamma Katsu, little size 14, 16, 18. I have about the 28, and I don't use the 28s very wow. much. Even with my cheaters, I'm afraid I'll inhale them if I sneeze. Yeah. And, and uh, you know... <laughs> They're so small, and most of those tiny hooks, when they're smaller than 18, I lose most of them just out in the wind. I don't Absolutely. even know where they're at. They're in my jeans. I don't know. Yeah, but, I've got some of those 24s to 28s. I use them for different things around here. Uh, yeah. I'm get into that and give other people ideas of what <laughs> I do. But, but um, you know. You don't horse them. You just, when you hook the fish, it's a gentle, slow roll with the oh, reel. Oh, yeah. And you then when you be. get that big fish. Scoop it with a frayable net as fast as you can. They they got that uh, they got that fiberglass one, ultra light or I'm sorry carbon and it's so light you can just go with one hand and just snap up the fish. I, wow. I'm excited to use it. Oh yeah, that sounds very interesting. So uh, when when you're talking, I want to get go through the jig deal just a little bit if you don't mind, Brian. Oh, when you're talking about small, medium, and large size jigs. Can you elaborate on that and? And are you talking quarter, eight, sixteenths, um, or what for bluegill and and crappie and stuff like that? That a lot of our viewers are going to be fishing for this spring. Um, to me, a quarter is a little big, but uh, you know what? What do you consider the big and the small end of the spectrum for jigs? Well, in 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 ten feet or less, if I'm pitching warming areas where the where the crappies and bluegills are coming in to you know, feed on bait fish because in the springtime they're not actually coming in to spawn. That's a misnomer. They're coming in to feed. Mm -hmm. Then they come. Then they go back out. Then they come back in later to spawn, but not in the muddy areas. But anyway, so I'm using uh, eighth to thirty second ounce, depending on how high they are. If I'm going along with my hummingbird side imaging, and I see the fish are halfway down, then I'll use a thirty second or a sixty fourth. So I'm never in that water column. And if, if you're pitching and you're not getting them and you lighten up and even just a little crappie minnow or a, a couple of two waxies will loft a 32nd ounce jig nicely. And so I'll twitch it. And sometimes you got to read them if, if they're down low, cause crappies will drop and just kind of drag their belly on the bottom. Then you're going to need an eighth ounce and let it sink. And because then when you twitch it, it's going to be a slow fall. And crappies like that slow fall, fast twitch. 
and I like to do a double hop sometimes and then let it fall and they'll come in and hit it and uh, you could use a, a little tough tube or you could use uh, something like that on there but I'm a fan of hackles like chicken feathers and uh, the firefly jigs one of my favorite and pink and white pink is just a really good panfish color no matter what yeah pink and white uh, old-fashioned yellow with black is really good and sometimes black or purple with feathers is good if you're up higher because it silhouettes against the surface. Um, glow head with uh, a combination of chartreuse and, and glow hackles is also good. But most of the time, the first thing I'm putting on is pink and white. And and that's in a firefly jig. And then flashaboo, which is a gypsy jig, is nice if you're in real murky water. And you can go with a pink and white and that flashable just refracts light. And then light line is very important. So you're throwing real light jigs. And if you use uh, six, seven, eight, nine pound test, it's just hanging there if it's mono. So what I like to do is use, I, I like fluorocarbon. And uh, I'll use a real thin, like three pound fluorocarbon. And I can pitch it out and it's got a nice little sink rate. So you're throwing real light jigs and it cuts the wind. Um, even in panfish, I'll use braid, but a really thin, like, um, like a Sunline SX one, eight pound test, which is the smallest diameter they make. And it's like, it's like a half a pound diameter. It's really thin. You wouldn't even want to floss your teeth. You might cut it out of your gums <laughs> and you can pitch this stuff out against the wind and go super far. Then a lot of times you're just using the weight of the minnow as the casting thing, but I do like a bobber and uh, I'll weight a bobber and I'll use a, a light bite bobber and I, I, you can add weights to the bobber, but I like to add split shot to it or a bullet sinker because the bullet sinker also will pull through any substrates that are still growing around the shorelines. And that bullet sinker, how are you attaching it directly to the, to the float or to the line? Directly to the line. The line. Okay. Just below the float. Just okay, and and then what I'll do is I'll even, you know, it. Hey, I, I love panfish. I'll get complicated. I'll put a little bead there to protect my knot mm -hmm. above a micro swivel, and I have these swivels. Some of the swivels are too small. The bow sinker will stick to them, so you put a little bead there. Bead there, and and you pitch it on there. And you don't need a swivel. You don't need a swivel. Uh, you could you could tie your bead in there, but if you're going to use a sinker. Um, you want to have a, a, a maybe a bull shot sinker, which is a bullet sinker that crimps on, mm -hmm. uh, or split shots fine. Um, there are times when the fish will eat your jig when you throw it in. They'll bite at the split shot. They'll bite at your bobber, but that's not very often, you mm -hmm. know. So, um, and then there's times I just use a plain hook, a, a, a small split shot, and. And just a little gamma catsu hook, a little Aberdeen hook, and and you'll hook a minnow and pitch it out. And I'll, I'll pull it, and I'll hook it in reverse it through the dorsal. I'll pitch it out, and I'll pull it, and then I'll let it kind of slowly sink, but it's struggling. Then I'll pull it again and let it slowly sink. And the only thing I'll have is a little bead by the hook, little pink bead. And sometimes that's all you need. Or just slip bobber. And sit on them, you know. And yeah, exactly. It, well, that bead, that little pink bead that you're using, is that kind of to constrain the minnow from moving, or is that actually just for weight for casting? It's a focal point for the fish. Okay. 
a little pink bead is a focal point for a fish and you want small um sometimes a bigger one's okay you know depending on how big of the fish are but a little pink bead goes a long way or fluorescent hooks i mean i must have i don't know how many umpteen gamma katsu fluorescent pink hooks and i have them in size eight and i got them in size six you don't need to go too much smaller uh, when they're feeding in the spring than than a size eight, uh, you you can you can use some of that small stuff. But I'm using that in the middle of winter, and when we're ice fishing here in the middle of winter, you're also ice fishing in the south because the mid south and and south because when I've been there, you're fishing vertical over deeper water, and the fish are kind of suspended, just sitting there or on mm. the bottom sitting there. And the only difference between ice fishing and boat fishing in the winter time is I'm standing on ice floating and you're standing on fiberglass or aluminum. <laughs> you know, but it's still, this is a time of year where the, the fish are moving slower. They're feeding less. You've got little windows, opportunistic times for them to feed and you got to be there. But it's, it's, Hey, it's all time well spent because you're waiting for the bite. You're waiting for the fish and um, you're on the water. And, or, and I'm on the water, even if I'm on the ice, there's something magical about ice. I want to describe to people who've never ice fished. You're not pitching to the fish. The fish aren't way off to the side. The fish are right below your feet. And if you're on a foot of ice and you're in eight feet of water, that fish could be five, six feet below you. And I'm using an aqua view underwater camera. I've got it hanging in my house, my fish house, a little quick flip tent. And I'm looking at it straight ahead, not down on the ground. And I'm watching my jig. And when the fish comes in, sometimes they grab it backwards and I wait. And they spit it back out, those big bluegills. And then the jig will sit there and they'll eat the waxworm. You set the hook. So I'm not looking at my rod tip. I'm, I'm not looking for a drop or a rise in a bite. I'm watching it on the aqua view. And they come in and eat it. And then I set the hook in. It's 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 fun, and I do that in, in a boat also. If I'm spot locked, or if I have my my two talons down, because I put two talons on my boat, I guide for walleyes all summer, you know. And I'm I'm a panfish guy. I'm selfish. I don't want to share them with people because <laughs> of one thing I know and I've learned for the last twenty eight years, uh, the, the the panfish school that you show somebody is their new favorite spot forever. <laughs> <laughs> so if i get to know people i might we might slide into a panfish spot but i gotta or, know that they're not gonna we're out of towners that aren't gonna come back anytime soon right oh yeah yeah there's yeah it's uh or just i i know people that just like catching them and uh and just get a meal of fish you know uh but it it is like hey here's my treasure chest look at all these gold coins i'm gonna set it right here we'll see you later yeah. <laughs> These, um, we had some people having a little discussion in chat where they're having problem with bluegills swallowing the hooks and oh. i recommend a longer shank hook or longer shank hook on a jig you have any other recommendations for that absolutely look into circle hooks they make circle hooks for panfish uh gamma katsu is the one i've been using i i, I researched it and I, I, there's some circle hooks that have, I've, I found them when I fished saltwater years ago, but I brought circle hooks up and for panfish, they'll have it down in their throat. And when you, you don't set the hook, you just start reeling and it goes to the corner of their mouth. And if you catch 
50 bluegills is would be a really good day even if they're small to big uh you might have one or two that's down there and for the price of the hook i just get really close and i snip it off um and then let it go because the acids in their their throat will dissolve it and they'll live and yeah. if you're going to keep them you can get it out later because they don't need that where when they go in the bucket you know here's something i've noticed when i keep you know uh whatever fish it is for bait that i have that swallows a hook and i'll, I'll do that i'll trim the line rather than kill the fish because they're worth something to me later right yeah I'll, I'll look in my bait tank and there's the hook on the bottom of the bait they just seem to work them out for some somehow right. some way yeah that's that's what i have faith that if if i got a big i've released some giant bluegills and and when i'm taking photos i like to drill a, a holes especially shallow bluegills i'll drill multiple holes three quarters of the way through on the ice about uh, two feet and then i'll just go down so that the you just pop through and the water starts seeping up so they can't get down and then the other holes here so i could take a fish and take a couple of pictures and sometimes you need the light has to be perfect you got a professional photographer for the company or whatever and i'm not out to kill these big ones so we use we take a couple pictures and then it's back down then you can pick up another one so you never wear them out mm -hmm. and uh, so if you ever want to get a good picture of gills just have a little a little uh, live trap that you made in the ice but don't keep them there if it's really cold too long um you know because the water temperature is 39 in the bottom of the lake and right there it's 32, 32. so that's the best way to go um you know it's you, you can't bring water out of the lake and transport it so uh, if you could br if you bring uh bait water from um from home or from uh your bait shop that water is going to come out of the well at pretty much about 50 degrees if you throw a little snow and cool it down you're going to have uh, water that's that's a little bit warmer but you don't want it too warm and they're gonna go they're gonna go nuts but that that keeps them alive too it's you just can't transport water that uh from the lake mm -hmm. good, good question. questions guys them are really good questions um you're doing guiding now just balls to the wall i guess because of of what you do but if I understood you earlier, you get out and you just start taking off drilling holes and you're dropping your transducer of your fish finder or, or whatever in these holes. Now, mm -hmm. if you don't see something there just right away, you're drilling another hole someplace and another one and another until you find what you wanted. Is that how you do that? Absolutely. And I've learned from, well, just from, from being out there a lot, I used to go out and drill holes. I, oh man, I'm going to, and you know, they took a picture one time and I had like hundred holes around me. So <laughs> I'm, I, I didn't really accomplish anything. Now I'm drilling holes about 30 feet apart. Sometimes if I'm fishing perch on a flat, I'll go 70 on big bodies of water. Wow. And how do you do that on a snowmobile? So I'll go on a snowmobile when, when there's a foot or less, I don't have to get off the sled. I drill a hole. And I, and I keep going, drill a hole, keep going. And every hole I kick flat so that when I come back, they're, they're sitting there flat. And uh, I'll, I'll drill for, you know, maybe 300 yards, turn around, and then I fish them through or I, I scope them through. So I'll, I'll go through, drop an Aquaview camera because the micro camera is so small. 
and it's on a on a reel that you can reel up now and i'll have it sitting there on the sled or if i'm on it in my truck i'll drill in reverse so i'll drill a hole jump in my truck and i got the auger on my lap door open and i and i go back and kind of eye it up okay jump out drill hole and, and i do that over and over and then i fish it forward with all my electronics on my dash but you got to remember to put it in park sometimes they're yeah. <laughs> running after my truck in reverse <laughs> and you're doing all this when it's zero degrees or thereabouts yeah it, well tomorrow uh when i when i uh meet the meet the guys it's going to be about minus 10 or 12 and uh the next day it's supposed to be a high of minus eight i think so it's going to get down to like minus 22 but the wind is what's going to hurt because it's yeah. going to be windy both days so uh definitely uh definitely gonna have them leave their truck running and they're from missouri so i don't want them to be in misery so no. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna let them sit in their truck till it's warm i'll set up the house get the heater going and they can go from a warm truck to a warm house and start fishing and i'll just fish outside and kind of uh scout and check um in case i have to move them or something but it's when it gets below zero when it gets past 10 below when it gets closer to 20 the slightest breeze is is cold to me i mean it's it's I think it's painful but I'll, I'll i'll fish outside you just you know I, i'm using fish monkey gloves i got the little um gloves these are like a little rain so i can squish them up like this these keep my fingers dry which is the most important thing when I'm running around in that cold temperature, I'll use the heavy-duty ones because mm -hmm. I don't want frostbite. I've no. had frostbite. I've had minor frostbite where you're like, "Did I get frostbite?" And you, yeah, I think so. But I've had turn black and and lumps, you know, and you know what drainage Not from being completely burnt. But it it was a lot colder than this. It was minus forty to sixty-two below is the coldest I've seen. That's pretty crazy. We got Papa Ed was asking if you know how to use a chopstick to get a hook out. I kind of figure you might. Yeah, yeah. In a little a little slot at the end is nice because mm -hmm. you can push it into the hook and reverse it. Sometimes you can do it with your finger. You know, these fish don't have teeth in their mouth, a big crappie. You'll run the line up and your finger fits right in the curve of the hook. And I push it back, but uh don't push your finger into the hook. Uh but yeah, the, the chopstick's nice and um uh, or a really fine needle nose and most of the time even with panfish i'm tipping the panfish upside down and i'm going in through the gill without touching the gill like the game of operation mm -hmm. and i'm turning the hook uh backwards to pop it out with minimal amount of tearing i you know i call it dr broke vorkian in the house and i <laughs> and then i pull the hook away and if you're real careful i mean it's they're fine fish. Like, thank you. When it leaves, you can hear yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. We have a good friend of ours that, that spends a lot of time in a lot of the chat rooms every every week. He, he's Creole catfishing. It's Jeremy DeFore. He lives in the state of Louisiana, and he don't know what freezing is. He don't think he wants no part of that 62 well, below. Well, he's got 30-degree weather coming his way, so he was panicked about that earlier. I, I saw a couple is. posts of his. Well, get used to that 30 degrees and just come up here when it's 30. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I had, uh, two fellows come up, 
when it was uh, they're from Louisiana, and they came up, and I took them fishing. Uh, this was about five years ago, and they they got on the plane. It was eighty eight degrees. When they got off the plane here, it was minus ten. They thought they made a big mistake. <laughs> and I remember I was out there, and they're in a a rental uh, truck on the shore, and all I remember is they're bundled up, or the big gloves too big for their hands, and they had that that hood where there was like I could see like <laughs> guy like this. I'm like I like how you doing? He goes, I'm okay, but my nose is a little bit cold. Yeah, I'm, I'm standing out there. I don't even got any gloves on. I'm like, okay, well, cover up your nose. I got I can't see if I do that. And, it's all, uh, it's all about what you're used to, right, bro? I mean, it's. Yeah. it's I don't yeah. think I could handle a summer in Louisiana. I'm not even going to kid you. I don't no, think I want to do no that. Way. I'd melt. Yeah, I melt like ice cream. Yeah, I, I don't even make it to the eating part. I mean, I just melt. And, uh, my, uh, my hat's off to you. Those people who can sit out there in ninety, a hundred plus, hundred five degree heat. Yeah, I've done that in walleye tournaments in South Dakota. We had hundred four degrees. Uh, for wow. three days, we had 102, 102, and then 104. And I was out there, and I'm like, it's dry out there, so it's, it doesn't feel as hot as it would in Minnesota. And I'm like, man, it's time to get off the lake. And I remember going back to this packed access, giant, you know, big launch, just full of trucks from all over the place. I was the only one there. So everybody was gone. I was still out there at two o'clock. They all left at like eleven or noon. Oh wow! <laughs> that makes it easy pickings. Oh, it was easy. It was easy to load my boat. But uh, one thing too with the ice fishing, those guys from Louisiana caught some pike and they caught some walleyes, and they had a blast. They were yelling at the fish. I didn't. I wasn't in their house. I'm like, you guys okay? And they're like, yeah, we're just having a good time here. Uh, and I'm like, you know, don't yell down the hole. You might scare the fish. They were yelling at the fish when it was coming into the – they could see it because we were in about eight feet of water, and it was right there. And uh, they, they, they got a big walleye, just a, a monster, and they got a little northern. And I said, well, which, which one is your favorite? The little northern because of how how it came in and slashed and nice flew around. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and they had so much fun. They caught other fish too. A little bit later, I got something in the mail from him. It wasn't a bag of money. It was an alligator head. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah, I don't need none of it. Dead would be the way I'd want an alligator. I don't want no part of them any other way. Yeah, well, we that's the only alligator I, around this area is that head that I got. And uh, But we do have our share of mosquitoes. I bet you are going to walk around in the grass too far. Um, but that's about it for biting things. But, yeah, I can't imagine having one of those things coming at you. <laughs> there, there was actually a bet with Creel that says uh, he'll come ice fishing if we can go alligator hunting with them, and we all said yes. <laughs> I know. I joke around so much. That's way cool. Uh, <laughs> alligator head. Brian, we're getting close to running out, and I know you have a trip tomorrow. Tell everybody where they can check your stuff out to find you if they want to get a guided trip with you or do come catch you at some seminars. I know you have some coming up. Yeah. Well, just go to brosguideservice.com, and I'm already booking stuff for summer, and I have a lot of stuff open. So if you want to come up and catch some walleyes, 
I have some lakes where you can actually watch them and pitch to them, and I have other lakes where we catch walleyes and smallmouth bass and uh, come on up and out. The panfish, walleyes pay the bills up here, so I guide for walleyes primarily, And uh, but we catch everything while we're doing it. We catch jumbo perch. We catch northerns. Um, and then if you come up in the winter, let me know ahead of time because I don't have I don't go out as many days in the wintertime because I do a lot of ice fishing promotion, and I also mm -hmm. have College of Ice, which we just had not too long ago. Yes, sir. The season ended for that, and uh, but it was I had a great time uh, on here with you guys. And if you want to come up, I have a I have a Ranger boat with a three hundred horse, and so you're going to be in good hands. And if Don't we don't get up, and I'm going to burn a lot of gas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so if if they want, let's say they give you a call and they want to schedule a trip for some perch, because we got a lot of people curious about perch in the group. Yeah. is that something you can arrange with them? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, good times. To come would be in June, um, beginning of August or September. And September is a busy time. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I'm sure a lot of resorts are already booked for that perch. But what people don't understand <laughs> is we, that June and uh, uh, well, July is okay. You know, every month has a flare-up in perch, and uh, so come wh whenever it works for you. We okay. go for perch, maybe for walleyes both. But perch kind of fit in the same. Thing with walleyes you don't have to take your jig off that you're catching walleyes on when you're fishing perch because it's the same thing you're just using a smaller minnow you smaller know minnow Very yeah cool. for sure just let me know and uh go to brosguideservice.com and for this winter i'm pretty much set for the amount of days uh that i i can go but uh, if you're thinking next year let me know i get people from texas louisiana uh miami and they just they want to come up and ice fish and some of them can't believe how warm it is on the out there in that tent. You drive right up to it, and others really find out yeah. that it's cold. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Uh, I, you got to promise if if you get a call from a guy by the name of Jeremy DeFore and from Louisiana, and he says yeah. he's coming up there when it's 20, 30, 40 below, you got to let me know because we're going to light up the internet with that. If you ever spoke <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, we can even give them a good old-fashioned uh, cold ice fishing trip where we take sleds out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah no that'll hut. be fun. But uh, it, no it's hut fun. get in just on the ice. Yeah, and, and, and all fishing's fun. But I, whenever I can get to a chance to go to Florida, I don't have to go off offshore. I go there to visit. Fam I got family in Florida, I, you know, and stuff. And then I don't have to go offshore. I I could fish at a pier or surf fish, catch pompano or redfish. It's a blast. Or even in a kayak. But I do like going offshore too. But you know, I don't get to do it every day if I'm there for a week. You know. We just started this show. You're our third week guest. We're so happy that you agreed to do a show with us. But we're looking for huge things in the panfish world to really pop. Um, I, we would really like to get you back on the show when the weather warms up so you can tell us about about the spring and the summer and what's to expect in your world then, if, if you'd be interested. Yeah, in absolutely. Uh, I definitely uh, check, check in with me around the the second week of May. Because okay. uh, the first week of May can be really good for crappies. But the, by the second week of May, uh, more stuff will be established. There'll mm -hmm. be that spring feeding mode on some lakes. Because every lake has a different 
time that it's going through a temperature zone. So even if you missed the crappies over here, they're still going on over they're here. Over there. Oh, that's so awesome. Real secret. I call that's those awesome. ice out crappie. That's my favorite time of the year. Right, not even it's before spawn. Right after the ice goes out, that's my favorite time to go after them. Absolutely, and uh, it's. Uh, I'm trying to get a, a, a picture here. You know, they're uh, here's a there's there's a me with a crappie on my uh, snowmobile. Oh, yeah. You can a snowmobile. There you go. And that's what I'm talking about. And, yeah. and now, yeah. it, it's been warm, you know. I, I got my coat on and stuff, probably because it cools off when you're cruising on a sled. And if you yeah. look at the background, it's fog. <laughs> it's fog behind you. Yeah, it's all yep. foggy out there. And uh, and then this is what some people like. I had some guys from Indiana come up. Oh yeah, that's what I'm oh, talking. Yeah, now we're talking. I've had them for several years. They come up the same time, and and they and they he throws that fish back. And, and some of the group don't even eat fish, but they just want to catch a, some big bluegills. They want to catch some big crappies. But if they get perch, they, they, they stick to their hands and they end up in the bucket. I don't care. Keep it. <laughs> you know what I mean? they, they, they like it. They'll eat the perch and walleyes, but they want to they want to get pictures with these big bluegills. And, uh, but I have to get to know them first. And here's a eel pout photo. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. There you go. And they're starting to really bite right now in northern Minnesota. I uh, just got to find the, uh, the eel pout is burbot for everybody out there in chat. You guys have heard the name from me, so yeah, burbot. Uh, in the east coast, are called lawyers. Lawyer fish. Yep. Yep. Look at that. Looky yep. there. That's pushing 11 inches right there. But anyway, it was great being on here, guys, and you guys have a great winter. And I hope you're setting a lot of hooks. And we're trying. We're trying. Brian, Brian, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. See you soon. Yep. Have Mark. a good night. All what right. A, have a good night. What a great guest, man. Absolutely. Full of knowledge. Caught. He's just man. He's just a super guy to have in in the show with us. I, I knew most that it would be a great show with Brian on here. He knows so much. He. He guides all over up there for every kind of fish, but they don't have big flatheads and big blue cats and stuff like we got. They got some big channels up there, but they got uh, some big channels. They do have so, that. You know, maybe before we let everybody go, maybe we should holler out to some people because I know uh, Brohead. Yeah, Brohead. Uh, um, he's got an appointment in the morning, so we wanted to get him and let yeah, him talk and absolutely. say what he had to say. So uh, let's say hello and thank you to everybody. Lyle, what do you say? I I'm, I'm good with that. I'll take off and then I'll stop. How's that? Sounds good, my friend. Fishing with JBT, Alan Pershaw, Lynn Leeper, Alan. I hope I got that reasonably close. If not, you'll have to send me a message. Tell me how I can make it better. Uh, Papa Ed. Muskrat Adventures, Georgia Fisherman getting hooked with D, the better part of that deal. Amen. Uh, Muskrat, <laughs> Muskrat <laughs> Adventures, Sunfish Assassin, uh, Mike Irwin, Jason Ward. Go ahead, Mark. All right, we had two stands fishing. I think you said Country Boy Cat Fishing. Creole, if you haven't, mess, if you haven't uh, mentioned him. Um, least favorite child fishing with the Chad. Uh, let's see, Jason Ward, you mentioned. D, I'm going to say hello to D again because he's worth two hellos. Absolutely. Uh, 
Lynn Leeper, you said, hello, Mike Irvin, Muskrat Adventures, uh, Papaya again, Sunfish Assassin, you guys hung around, thank you very much. I do want to remind everybody that I have a show on tomorrow night, we're going to do a year in review. It's been approximately a year since I got onto YouTube, kind of slow at the beginning, but uh, I'm going to have my friend Lyle, my friend James, and my friend Chad, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, and I have a special surprise on Sunday on my channel, it's going to get announced tomorrow via thumbnail and links on uh, my personal page and my catfish and crop pages. So keep an eye out for that. I think you guys will be happy to see that. It'll be a very cool uh, way to spend your Saturday. Yeah, we're looking forward to some of that. Kevin Baker's in the house, fishing finds, fishing with the Chad. <sighs> There's always one. Song. Robert Andrews. Uh, uh, Lynn Leeper getting hooked. We got D. Muskrat Adventures. Did we get Roger? We did. I got Roger. Yep. I know Ace was in there. Um, uh, Catman, do Georgia Fisherman? Georgia Fisherman. Avid was in there. Palmetto Cats was in there. Yep, Kevin was in there. So, My how are you feeling that Panfish Weekly is going, Lyle? While I got you here for a few minutes, I think that it's going really well. We've worked really hard, Mark, um, to get some quality guests. We got some more coming. Um, let me see if I can remember. I can't remember right offhand who next week's guest is, but it's another good one. I mean, uh, at some point, I want to do a show just you and me, and you tell us how you catch your crappie. You let me know. I can let you know how um, I catch my crappie and how I catch my bluegills because I catch a lot of bluegills for bait. So you know, I got a couple of methods that I want to talk to you. And I also want to talk to you about your drop shotting techniques for them. Absolutely. I'd be we'll happy get into to that. that. Now, the guest for next week is another guy that we all grew up watching when we was coming up, O'Neill Williams. Uh, he is a outstanding guy to visit with. O'Neill is is uh, getting up there in years, but he's just as sharp as a tack. And man, he's he's like Babe and Brian. He catches them fish every time he goes out, and he's been on the show for a long, long time. Uh, I don't know that he's doing much of them anymore, but he'll be a really fun guy. Uh, very outspoken in, in his age, but uh, aren't we, all? we like him. That's why we that's, love you, that's, Lyle. That's right. I see a total angling experience. Hey, what's going on, sir? Sometimes if people are just watching the show and they don't chime in right away, their names won't come up in the list. But if you do, we'll always try to mention you guys. Those Carolina catfish. Uh, yeah, if you don't don't if don't get upset if we don't get your name because we'll get it next week. Uh, or the you know we usually go through them a little bit better. But when you get guys on here like we've had the last three weeks, we want to get right to it. And, and let them tell you things mm -hmm. that you might not ever hear anywhere else. And in the last couple, three weeks, we've had some guys that shared some knowledge that they probably wouldn't have told anybody else. They, they got something to say. To we we got to let them say it, right, Lyle? That's, That's the way exactly I look at it. exactly right. I, I think maybe if we do like this little after, you know, we'll call it our little after party for a couple of minutes, we can say hello to the people and answer any questions or anything they have. Absolutely. And if you guys have any questions, uh, Mark catches a lot of crappie. And <laughs> I'm basically a bluegill fisherman, but we're probably going to get together sometime uh, this year and, and catch some crappie and maybe some bluegill. And we hope to catch some perch when we're up in Mendota. I'm, 
I, I know you and me and James Dockery. We're going to try that. I don't know how excited uh, Chad is about it, but the three of us are excited. You know, once he tastes them, I think he'll be all right. You know what? I think I'm going to give Brian a call before we head up there and see if maybe he can give us a couple of tips on where to look on those. That'd probably be a good idea. I don't know if he's familiar with them lakes, but he'll know what where they're biting at on mm -hmm. his water, and we'll just apply that to a different area. Cool. Very cool. Well, Lyle, thank you again for letting me be a part of this. I had a wonderful time tonight. Two stands says O'Neill Williams. I can't wait for him. He is awesome. Always felt like he was just the average guy, but knew the whole bunch. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, he's a good guy. Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on the show with me. We're going to continue to have a good time every Thursday night at 8 Central, 9 Eastern, right after uh, James Dockery and Chad with the uh, – what is it? With the bait shop. <laughs> what is it? It's the bait oh, shop. Well, oh, the, the bait, bait shop. shop. Bait I'm fishing shop. with the Chad. It was a great show. Uh, <laughs> I listened to it right up till I had to, to get out. I just want to give them guys a little, a little, a little business. Time. Yeah, but that's okay. Thanks again, everybody, for watching. We'll see you next Thursday night. Don't forget, Good to night, guys. Out. Don't forget to check Mark's show out tomorrow night. Tomorrow. Bye bye. <laughs>